We have been uh, going through the book of 1 Corinthians the last uh, month or so. We just kind of as a, one of the books in the Bible, if you're not familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the chapters or books in here. And we've just been kind of going sentence by sentence, uh, uh, listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And we're going to continue doing that today. We're going to talk about the wonder of the gospel. And this text today actually has a very famous verse in it, a verse that if you've been a Christian for a while, you'd probably be quite familiar with, and that is this, this verse here. It says, What now no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. And often when we think about that verse, or often people use that verse, and, and they use that verse in, in because it talks about the things God has prepared for those who love them, we automatically think, think of heaven. And I hope... When you think of heaven, in your mind, you, you think more of the new earth or the renewed earth because that's actually where we're going to spend eternity. Uh, the Bible says that uh, God is going to take this earth and he's going to make it new. And it's the home of the bride, the home uh, of us, and, and God's presence is going to be on the, the new earth. And so you can think of everything beautiful in this earth, and it's only going to be better. And there's going to be no evil, suffering, pain, hardship. Hardship is going to be beautiful. It's going to be, in a sense, back to the, the Garden of Eden. And that's what, what heaven is going to be like. It's, it's going to be cr crazy awesome. I mean, to think about having relationships with people with no hindrances and no boundaries and no mess-ups. Uh, to think about having a relationship with God uh, that is perfect and growing and will never, ever be able to tap the depths of who He is. And to think about what we're going to be able to create and invent uh, having perfect bodies and perfect minds and being able to live for, for eternity. I mean, it's going to be awesome when we think about heaven and the new earth. But the reality is this text actually isn't talking about heaven. It can apply to heaven because, I mean, it's true what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. I mean, you can think about just how amazing the new heavens and the new earth are going to be. And however amazing you can conjure up in your mind that's going to be, is going to be vastly better than that. So it applies to heaven. But the text is actually talking about the gospel. Uh, Paul, who is writing this, is quoting from Isaiah the prophet, who is looking forward to the time of Jesus' death and resurrection and what we would have in Jesus in, in the new covenant. And he says that this relationship through Jesus is going to be so amazing that no mind could even conceive how incredible it will be. This is Isaiah talking about the future, but we have it now. And so this is actually, this verse is a reality for us now. And so we're going to talk just a little bit today about, about the gospel. And because uh, sometimes, you know, things that you're familiar with can come kind of humdrum after a while. You know, something exciting but it's new. And maybe you have been a believer for a long time and you just kind of like the gospel. You know, it's cool, but it kind of just become normal for you. The gospel should never be normal. The gospel should always be filled with amazement and wonder. And if you're new here, and you're like, well, what does the gospel even mean? The gospel simply means good news. It's the good news of Jesus. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But to get to that verse, we've got to work through a couple others. Starting with verse 6 is where we left off uh, last week. Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. And this is what Paul's been talking about, that, that God's wisdom is far beyond our own wisdom. 
And he, he says here, we speak a message of wisdom among the mature. It almost sounds like he's saying, I don't speak any mature things to immature people. That's, that's actually not what he's saying. He's talking about God's wisdom here. And he's talking about the mature people in the terms of those who have received God's wisdom. And if you receive God's wisdom, that is a very mature thing. And one of the most mature things you can do is to surrender sometimes your own thinking in your own ways and to receive God's wisdom because God's wisdom is always best and it's always right to be able to trust in the Lord and to lean not on our own understanding but in all our ways we acknowledge Him and He makes our path straight. It is very, very wise and mature of you to receive God's wisdom. And part of that is receiving the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's a very wise thing to do to receive Jesus into your life because he really becomes the key or the answer that opens up life and opens up reality in a way that God wants us to see. And so he goes on and says, do we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And he's talking here about the gospel. That in the Old Testament, there is a sense that the gospel, this relationship through Jesus that we can have with God, uh, was in somewhat hidden there are glimpses of it all throughout the Old Testament. But again, no mind could conceive, no eye could even think up or see what the gospel was really going to be like until Jesus came and died and rose again and the Holy Spirit fell on his people. Uh, but it was a mystery that was hidden until just the right time. So the Bible says that at just the right time, God sent Jesus. In Galatians 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. That God sent Jesus at just the right time. And sometimes we wonder why he waited so long between Adam and Eve and when Jesus appeared. Because it was a long time uh, between, between those dates. I mean, why didn't uh, God just send Jesus like, you know, the next day and save a whole lot of pain and suffering and, you know, maybe could excuse the Old Testament law a little bit and just send Jesus right away and just have the law of love. I mean, I mean why wait so long? And, there's lots of different answers that people give for that. Uh, but there's a few that kind of make sense to me. One of them uh, might be that if God sent Jesus the next day, Adam and Eve probably would have said, you know, I think we're okay on our own. I think we can do this on our own. In fact, they said that in, in uh, the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments. They said, we can do this, no problem. We can obey all God's, you know, things that he wants to do. We can do this, no problem. And, and, but the thing is, we can't do it. Uh, we can't do it on our own strength. But we can't love perfectly on our own strength. We can't uh, love God on our own strength. We need help. And, and I think God waited so long because sometimes it takes a long time for us to learn a lesson that actually we can't do it on our own. And so when Jesus finally comes, uh, you know, people realize, I, I need a Savior. I need someone to help me love the way you love God. I need someone to help me love you the way I should love you. And, and we need our sin taken care of, which we can't take care of on our own. So at just the right time, God sent his son. And it may be as well, as some suppose, that uh, God decided to appear at a time when he could remind us that his love was just crazy love. And it was a time when the Romans crucified people. Because crucifixion was one of the most painful, public, shameful ways to die. 
And it says that before the foundation of the world, the Bible says that Christ was crucified. In other words, God had this plan, even before he created Adam and Eve, God knew that they were going to mess up, but he already had a rescue plan, and that was Jesus. And maybe he waited until a time, until the most painful, shameful public way to die would exist. And that was the time of the Romans, as they beat Jesus and whipped Jesus and, and actually hung him naked in a very public place so all who could see, could see him dying on the cross and there's power in that because it reminds us of how deep God's love is for us. I mean, if someone said to you, you know, you know, I might walk 100 feet for you, but I wouldn't walk a mile. They, you know they probably don't love you that much. You know, like the old song, I would walk 500 miles. Okay, then they love you a lot if they're willing to walk 500 miles. Uh, but, I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, I, you know, I'll lose a finger for you. Or even... I'll, I'll, I'll lose my life for you. But it's a whole other thing to say, I'm willing to go through the most public shaming and the most uh, torturous way to die for you. In a sense, when we look at the cross, it is a reminder that God loves us that much. He's not just willing to go a mile. He's not just willing to go 500 miles. He's not just willing to die. He's actually willing to go through the most public shaming, uh, you know, horrible way to die, and it reminds us of just how much he loves us. And God really does, does love you. And so he came at just the right time. And it goes on. It says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, none of the rulers of the age understood who Jesus was. The people who really should have understood, like the Pharisees, they missed it. They completely missed it. Anybody in that day who, who thought, well, who would know when the Messiah is coming? Everybody would say, well, it would be the Pharisees. They completely missed it. It was the tax collectors and sinners that recognized it. There was the odd Pharisee that recognized it. But it says here, if the rulers of the age, if they knew who Jesus was, they wouldn't have crucified him. I mean, they got rid of the Messiah, the, the, the Savior. It's like taking something that's worth so much money and, and, and putting it in the trash without realizing how much it's worth. In fact, people have done that. This guy had this uh, urn in his house. His dad had bought it for 150 bucks at some garage sale or something like that. And he had a plant in it, and his kids used it as a goalpost in his house. And, uh, and, and then the old, the old Antiques Roadshow came along, and he brought it. And in 2014, he sold it for $1.1 million. They just use it as a goalpost, as a plant block. You know, this is not worth anything. That's the way some people treat Jesus. Yeah, he's just a good teacher. <laughs> you know, he's not worthy of my life. You know, what can Jesus, how can he help me? I mean, my life is a mess. I mean, what can he do? And we treat Jesus like, like, like he's not powerful, like he's not God, like he's not a savior, like he's not beautiful, like he's not able. But the reality is Jesus is worth more than anything we could ever imagine. He's worthy of our lives because only in Jesus do we find the answer to, to life's difficulties and struggles and the answer between connecting us with God. But the rulers of the age didn't understand it. Or they missed it. And you might be here as well, and, and, and you've been missing this. If you just look at Jesus and say, yeah, maybe he's a good teacher, or I don't even know if he existed or not. You just, you just kind of treat him like a plant pot. But I tell you, he's worth more than you could ever imagine. And, and I just continue to encourage you to continue to explore him. Uh, in fact, 
it reveals God's love. Uh, Hebrews 10, it says, How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the spirit of grace? And I mean, when Christ was crucified, those who crucified him, that's a pretty awful thing. I mean, it's one thing, you know, to kill a cat, because it's going to get bad, I don't know, that's bad. Uh, to kill a human, that, that's really bad. But to kill the Son of God? I mean, we'd say that, you know, the justice in us, that, that needs to be punished. But this, is, again, shines of the incredible love that God has. When he looked out upon those who were crucifying him, those who should be punished for putting him on the cross. Jesus was not sitting on the cross saying, Oh, you're going to get you. you know, Oh, you deserve to be punished. Look at what he said on the cross. For Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And Jesus is hanging on the cross, and these people who have done the most heinous thing possible, Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. I mean, his heart is going out. And if you are here and, and you don't even like Jesus and you just came for lunch or whatever you came for, I mean, the Father's love is shining out on you right now. Amen. And he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. If they just knew who I was, they would not crucify the Lord of glory. If they just knew who I was, they would surrender their lives. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are, are doing. Uh, Jesus, he, he is amazing. And so it goes on, it says this, again, talking about the gospel. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And then he says this, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. This is not something in the future. This is a reality now in Jesus Christ, as God the Father revealed this thing called the gospel about this relationship we can have with God through Jesus Christ. And it is so amazing that Isaiah the prophet back in those days was like, I could just fathom the most beautiful thing. I could try to see the most beautiful thing. I could try to hear the most beautiful song, but it's nothing compared to what's coming. And if you are on Jesus, you have it. And I hope you haven't lost the wonder of the gospel. Because if you are a follower of Jesus and have the power of Jesus in you, you have the most precious thing in the universe. And there's a lot of things we can talk about in the gospel, but I was led to talk about a few things. Uh, one is relationship with the Father, relationship with God. And this is at the heart of the gospel, Romans 5.1. We have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. The gospel is that we have been reconnected with the Father through Jesus Christ. And it says you have peace with God. Absolute peace. If you're in Jesus, the Father of this universe, God of this universe, looks at you and his eyes just have, they're just peaceful. Come into my presence. I have his eyes of peace looking on you. In fact, all through the Bible, there's language of relationship. And sometimes people miss this in Christianity. The whole heart of Christianity is a relationship with God. Sometimes people miss it, thinking the whole idea of Christianity is a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts. It's not, it's not what it is. It's about a relationship with God. Uh, uh, Jesus described it in terms of friends. Abraham was called a friend 
of God because of his faith as well. And again, we can't miss the wonder of this. The wonder of being a friend with God. I mean, imagine your favorite movie star or your favorite, uh, you know, a musician. And imagine if that person just phones you up one day and says, Hey, I just really want to hang out with you. You know, I saw your Facebook post and I just really want to hang out on you. And, and you come over and, you, and they just like, they just, they just lavish on you. And, and all of a sudden, you, you're like my best friend. And can I hang out with you? I mean, we would just be like, oh man, I'm friends with so-and-so. This is so amazing. But we're talking about God. The God of this universe is inviting you to be friends with him. Right. Don't you lose the wonder of the gospel. It's in terms of, of a husband and wife. This is the kind of relationship we're talking through the gospel. The, the Bible uses in, in Ephesians 5 and Revelation and other places the idea of us being the bride of Christ. Now we know a husband and a wife, that, that is one of the most intimate kind of relationships we can have on planet earth. And it's why God uses friendship as a picture, but he also uses marriage as a picture. The kind of relationship we have through Jesus Christ with God is is like a marriage relationship. It's intimate and it's close. And I, and I hope you walk with God that way. I hope you're not like sort of like an agnostic Christian where, you know, you know, God's out there, but he doesn't really care much about me. And, you know, God's out there, but, you know, I never get to experience him. No, he says, I want it to be like a friendship. I want it to be like a marriage. And he also uses the picture of children. Again, another picture of close relationships. Fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. It's this close relationship. As Ephesians 5 says, that God says you're actually a dearly loved child. You're not the abandoned child. You're not the orphan child. You're not the child that God doesn't really love. He looks at you, whoever you are in this room, and he says, you, through Jesus, through the gospel, are my dearly loved child. As Ephesians 1 says, that God actually adopted us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it says this, it gave him great pleasure. Do you know that? God says, I, I want you to be my friend. I want you to be my bride. I, I want you to be my child. And, and when you open your heart to him and you come to him, God is like, oh, this gives me great pleasure. In fact, you see that in Luke chapter 15. You know, the father rejoicing over the lost son coming home. The, 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 the woman who lost the lost coin rejoicing over the coin being found. He rejoices. That's what Zephaniah says. He actually rejoices. I mean, there, don't lose the wonder of that. The one who means more than anything else in this universe has called you into a relationship with him. And this is the heart of Christianity. It is a relationship with, with, uh, with God. And... This God is a loving God. Yeah, sometimes we can get mixed up in this because uh, we never experience perfect love with other people. We experience close love, perhaps in a marriage, or close love in a friendship, or very close love between you know, parents and kids, like those pictures. But there's always some brokenness. Because I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. And so to be friends with me, sometimes you're going to see my faults. <laughs> if you're married to me like Maria, sometimes she's going to see faults. Sometimes that love is not going to be perfect. And we never, but this is different with the Father. His love is absolutely perfect towards you. In fact, 1 John 4, 8 says, there is no fear in love. He's talking about agape, God's kind of love. There, there's no fear in that love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. In other words, when God looks at us, 
there is not to be this kind of fear. I mean, we're to fear God in the sense we respect him. Uh, but there's not to be this kind of fear, like, I don't think I can go into his presence, and I don't think he'd really love me, and I, I don't know if I can go in there, but, you know, maybe after a bunch of Hail Marys, then I can do it. I mean, no. <laughs> fear has to do with punishment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Is your relationship with the Father like that? Or you, you just know you can come to him and, and there is no fear of punishment because you actually believe the gospel that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you actually believe what God's word says more than what about you feel or what Satan says. I mean, he's calling you into this deep love relationship uh, with the Father. In, in many ways, his love is like a floor leveler. If you're a carpenter here, I've worked on floors. You can buy this stuff if your floor is unlevel or you got divots or holes in your floor, or small ones. You can pour this stuff on it and it just makes everything perfectly level. In our lives, because we live with imperfect love all around us, uh, we got holes in us, we got wounds. We've got areas of brokenness. And when you open your heart to the Father's love, he comes in like floor leveler, and he just pours that love into our lives. And every one of those wounds and, and, and places where we've been hurt and injured, it just, he just fills it in with his love until we're in Jesus. And I encourage you, if there are places in your life that you just feel, you know, are wounded, open those up to God because he wants to dump his love into your life. He says, uh, Paul says, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Paul says here, all God's people should understand this. But it's amazing how many Christians I meet, including myself sometimes, when we don't understand God's love. And then he says this, may you experience the love of Christ. You see, God's love is not just something we know. Paul is actually praying for us that we would actually experience that relationship. Again, there are things we need to know in Christianity. Yeah, we've we got to know, we know the Bible. But Christianity is also about experience. Because, again, it's not simply about rules and do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship. And could you ever imagine a relationship with somebody that you never experienced them? You know, I'm married and i got a wife. You know, I know some things about her, but I've never experienced her. You realize it's kind of weird. Or we had a friend, you know, I know some things about my friend, I've seen him on Facebook, but I've never experienced him. And you say, well, that's probably not your friend, and this, you're probably not married to that person, you've never experienced it. I mean, it just goes that if you have a relationship with somebody, you experience them. And it's what Paul's saying, that we should be people who have experiences with God, and his grace, and his love, and his power, and his goodness, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, may you experience the love of Christ. Not just know it, says we've got to understand it, but we also have to experience it though it is too great to fully understand. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life. When are you made complete? When you understand his love and experience his love. Because the more you experience his love, the more that floor leveler is pulled, poured into your life and all those wounds that we, you know, hurt people, hurt people, or we're wounded, we hurt people back. It just gets leveled out in the love of God. That's what he wants. He wants to set you free from those areas of damage so that you're actually free to love people. So you don't have to wound people and hurt people anymore. You can, just, you can just walk in the love and grace of God. Part of the gospel also is the new heart. We 
talked about this a few weeks ago. But it says in 2 Corinthians that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begin, begun. When you open your heart to Jesus, and that love and grace and power flows in, it changes you. So much so, the Bible actually says you're a new person. You're not like just a renewed person, you're a new person. The Bible constantly talks about how the old is gone, that the new has come, how sin no longer has a power over you. That's, that's the old man, that's the old self, that, that actually is a new self, and there is new power uh, in you. And it explains this, again, in the Old Testament, foreshadowing to the gospel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. In other words, you, you know, you'll no longer try to find life from other places. Because once you meet Jesus, you realize that the true source of life is Jesus. You don't have to get life from other people's opinions. You don't have to get life from trying to be famous. You don't have to get life by trying to look impressive. You realize that I don't have to look for life in those places. I can look for life in, in Jesus. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That he gives us actually a new heart, which actually is you. Your heart is, is the real you. And when you're in Jesus, he gives you a new heart. It's this new beginning. It's this new chance. It's this, it's this new start. There's this newness about everything and new power. And because you have a new heart and because everything flows from your heart, so Jesus said, sin flows from your heart, good flows from your heart. When you have a new heart, it just sets you on the right path. I mean, it's like the car thing we talked about a few weeks ago, if you remember that. If you had like an old car and, uh, and it just wouldn't start, and you're like, you know, how can I get this car going? And you're like, uh, you bring it to the mechanic, and they say, it needs a new engine. The engine's toast. You know, the heart of the car is gone. It doesn't work. And you're like, yeah, maybe, but, you know, I'm going to do something more practical. New paint job, right? And so you go paint that car, and you're like, now this thing's going to run right. And, and you hop in, and just like nothing. You're like, yeah, that didn't work. Uh, well, maybe if I bring it and get it around the right kind of cars, it'll work. You know, influence. <laughs> And so you drive it over to the Ferrari dealer and you park it next to some nice red Ferraris hoping that it's going to wear off and you come back a week later and it still doesn't work. Well, maybe, you know, some positive encouragement to speak words of blessing over this car. This is going to fix everything. And, and still doesn't, it's because it needs a new engine. And this is an illustration of our lives. I mean, we can try to look for lives in all these places. We can try to say, if I just had this, my life would be okay. If I just was better at this, then everything would be possible. What we need is a new heart. We need a new engine. And that is found through Jesus. It's a part of the gospel. When you open your heart to Jesus, his love and power flows in, and he actually gives you a new heart, a new power plant. And this is why it is so beautiful to see. You see new Christians, and, and they always say things like this. Man, I can't believe how much I've changed. <laughs> I can't believe I just, man, I've changed so much in the last month, the last year. Just, I mean, they're just blown away, because they got a new power plant. It's like, where'd all this horsepower come from? I mean, it's the gospel, right? And through the gospel, we have presence and power. That God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. In fact, the desire to love people and do what's right in the kingdom and obey God actually comes from God Himself. It's God working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what He wants us to do. And there's a new presence and a new power that God works in us. 
And we can look at it in the negative way. I, I always find this helpful. Because sometimes we think, well, God's power is in me. Okay, you know, how would that change my life? I think I've said before, you know, if you're hungry and you eat food, you feel better. Unless you eat something bad, then you feel worse. But it changes you either way, right? Maybe if you had lettuce or pizza or whatever. Uh, but when you eat food, it changes you. But how much more when, you, when God is in you does it change you? And you can look at this from the negative because you look at somebody, say, who is demon-possessed. That person has an evil spirit in them. We just think it's natural that they're going to manifest some evil stuff. It's, it's just natural that they're going to have some funky stuff going on and there's going to be some evil about them and, and they're going to do stuff that's not of the kingdom because they have an evil spirit in them. An evil spirit changes somebody. Now we look at it the opposite way. There is a spirit who is absolutely loving and good in every way, the Holy Spirit, and he's a million times more powerful than any demon. And he moves into your life. How could you ever say you're not changed? I mean, if a demon can change someone for the negative, how much more will the power of God in us change us for the good? Amen. I mean, he does. He radically begins to change us because we are filled with his power. In fact, this is one of the mistakes sometimes we as Christians make. We spend so much time on, i got to do this on my own strength when the gospel is all about it. It is his strength working through you. Because you have a power in you, the Holy Spirit, who is stronger than anything, and you just release that spirit. You just surrender to him, and it's amazing how things change. In fact, all those things we really want in life come from the power of God in us. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the things that come from the Holy Spirit in us is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, those are things we want for life. We know, man, if I just had more of those, my marriage would be awesome, my relationships would be good, this world would be awesome if we just had those things. They come from the Holy Spirit in us. They come from surrendering to him and just allowing that, again, that floor level or to just seep into every aspect of your being until you're saturated in the spirit. And so what gushes out of you is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. I mean, some of you are trying too hard in the wrong area. It's all about your own striving and your own effort. And sometimes it's about resting in the goodness of God and just pressing uh, into him. I mean, you look at a fruit tree. Uh, you never see a fruit tree just like, oh, I gotta bear apples. This is so hard. Come on, apple gum. You know? Right on. An apple tree just rests and the sun shining down absorbs the sun. It just naturally absorbs the nutrients of the soil and the ground. And, and fruit just appears with ease over time. And that's a picture of the Christian life. That we're just be resting in the sun of God, in the radiance of God. We're to be absorbing his goodness and his love and his grace and his power. And this is where the fruit of the Spirit comes. This is where life change comes. It comes from allowing God uh, to work in us. And again, he is greater in us. First John 4, 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I don't care what is coming after you. There's nothing stronger than God in you. There's nothing stronger than God in you. Now, I don't, whatever you're facing today, God in you is bigger, is far greater. And I love this song. It's one of the verses I just memorized in the last few weeks. It's what happens when you're filled with God. It says, they do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. 
Now we can't do that in our own strength, but I tell you, God in us, we can. A gospel, the gospel message, what Jesus has done, he has cleansed you in such a way that the very power of God can move in and fill you and touch you. And the last one, we can talk a lot about a lot more. Uh, but it's purpose. When you're in Jesus through the gospel, you have purpose. There's not one of you can, here can say, if you're in Jesus, that I have a purposeless life. I, I have nothing to do, and I'm just kind of a waste of time. See, the Bible says that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God shaped you and made you unique and differently on purpose. And a lot of times in this world, because we want to be like everybody else, we are just trying to be like everybody else. And God's saying, no, I want you to be like you, because i got a plan for you. And that only you can do. There's a destiny on your life. And I want you to be the best you that you can be uh, because you've got a purpose. And if you're constantly trying to be someone else, you're going to miss out the purpose that God has for you. Ephesians 2 says, we are God's handiwork. I mean, imagine how perfect God is and how good God is. I mean, you take the best painter on this planet. You take the best guy who can make a sculpture, and you know their artworks, it's just going to be amazing. Their handiwork, I mean, you take a, 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 a super awesome carpenter, their work is going to be brilliant. But what happens when God makes something? What happens when God made you? You are his handiwork. I mean, he shaped you beautifully. In fact, some translations say, we are God's poem, or we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance to, uh, for us to do. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan. And you find that out by living into God. The more you are filled with his love and the more that floor level or seeps in your life, the more the love of God just flows out towards others. And you find your purpose. You find your destiny. And you find that you uh, become someone who's actually building the kingdom. You're not sucking life out of the kingdom. You're not sucking life you know, out of others. You're actually blessing others because you are in Jesus and in the gospel. I mean, the unique thing about the gospel is if you're a Christian, you have the gospel, but there's so much more of the gospel because <laughs> you just keep going more and more into who God is and his grace and his power. And we can talk about forgiveness. We can talk about all those kinds of things in the gospel. Uh, but, but I hope you know Jesus here today. And if you're here and you've never opened your heart to Jesus, God give, wants to give you a new life. God give you one, uh, gives you a new start. He wants to invite you into his own home as adopted child. He wants you to become a friend. He wants you to become the bride. He wants you to be in a relationship. And he wants to do beautiful things through you. He wants you to be someone who, who's a, who makes a difference in this world by, by building the kingdom. And he wants to do that in you. And, uh, and if you're here and uh, you don't know Jesus, uh, maybe we can just all just close our eyes. And then um, and you can just pray... I'll say something, just kind of repeat this in your heart. Father, I come to you. And Father, I ask for your forgiveness for all my sin and all my mistakes. And God, I know you are faithful and true, and you say that you will forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So God, I thank you right now for perfect forgiveness. And God, I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, fill me with your Spirit so that I can be changed, that I can be different, that I can live for you. God, I trust you. I pray you'd fill my whole being. God, I pray for those wounded areas of my life, that your love would flow and touch and level those all out in my life. I want to follow you. So God, would you guide my steps? In Jesus' name, amen.